You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Here it is, new series for Eastertide. Eastertide, uh, celebrating and remembering with great intentionality the resurrection of Jesus and what that means. So starting to cultivate prayers of gratitude. That's what Eastertide is about. It's about cultivating prayers of gratitude. It's about cultivating prayers of praise. It's about learning how to lament in light of resurrection because not everything about our lives are always great. Some of us received bad news. Some of us will receive bad news. So Eastertide is a time to focus our lives on the resurrection of Jesus. This series is going to be a practices-based series uh, to help us hold on to joy and compassion in this culture of conflict that we live in. Uh, So we're going to learn practices about conflict resolution and how we can engage in conflict in a way and not have to wound each other and have ourselves wounded in the process. We'll learn more about what it means to, to walk in the Spirit. Breathe in, breathe out, breath. In the Greek and in the Hebrew, that word is also translated for the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Breath of God. We're going to learn to breathe in the Spirit of God and breathe out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We're going to learn what that means, okay? And we're going to have practices to do that. So I hope you'll be faithfully consistent in keeping up with the conversations over the next several weeks. All right, that's a long introduction that cuts into my um, unhealthy pride of preaching under 25 minutes every week. Um, So we're just not going to include that in the uh, numbers. All right, so here we go. On Sunday, what did Jesus do? Triumphantly entered the city riding on a donkey of peace. That's the Sunday of Holy Week when it began. On Monday, Jesus enters the temple and flips tables on the injustices brought on by religious power and greed. Right On Tuesday, Jesus goes back to the temple and is challenged by the leaders in a debate over what the scriptures are really saying. On Wednesday, Jesus is anointed by Mary and Bethany. And on Thursday, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, shares a last supper with them, and is betrayed by a friend and arrested. Then we know on Friday, Jesus is crucified. On Saturday, Jesus lays in the tomb, buried and dead, and his disciples lament in fear and in hopelessness and in sorrow. And then on the first day of the week, what we call Sunday, on Easter Sunday, Jesus is risen. And who does he appear to first? A woman, a woman named Mary. She becomes the first person in the cosmos to pronounce the resurrection of Jesus. That's the story of Holy Week. And everything is different now. That's what the Christian faith wants us to believe, that everything is different now. Because of Easter, we believe that a different kind of life is available to us now. We know now that God's reign is over the world, is present, and actively at work in the world. And if God, and stay with me, if God is actively at work in the world, then God's power is at work in the world, in us, among us, through us. Anyone, anyone can experience God's redeeming and restoring power. Death, death no longer has lasting power over us. Fear no longer has lasting power over us. God has unleashed a love so powerful that the world will never be the same. That is the bold Christian 
message. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Our lives will never be the same. So why do we sometimes feel the same? Almost as if Easter didn't happen. I mean, why are we still prone to being fearful or anxious or supportive of violence or sometimes just plain mean? Like, maybe it's because there's this contradiction between the power at work in Easter and the power at work in society. If you're on the other side, everybody say power. It's the power. There's a contradiction in power. Many Christians give more time to understanding how the world's power works by giving more attention to the news media and social media than the story of Jesus. And that creates an overwhelming contradiction. That creates conflict. See, the truth is Easter reveals this contradiction. It reveals why sometimes we feel like Easter never happened, why we sometimes live like Easter never happened, except for, of course, that we get to go to heaven when we die. We have to wake up to the reality that we live in a society that calls what is evil good and what is good evil. We live in a society where we mistake the momentary for the eternal and the eternal for the momentary. We call what is bitter sweet, and we call what is sweet bitter. We think war leads to peace, and that peace somehow leads to war. Society tells us that we should love with self in mind first. We're told that only, who, only those who are determined worthy are worthy of love. And we're persuaded to believe that those different from us somehow are threats to our well-being, whether it's the color of their skin, the nationality, or economic standing. We live in an enemy-making machine of conflict, and we all too often throw gasoline on its flames, even though Easter happened. And in the end, we all burn. See, then there's Easter. My friend Michael Gonzalez put this out there uh, on Facebook. <laughs> it's so powerful. He said, the resurrection witnesses that in a world that bends toward crucifixion, God bends toward life. Mm -mm -mm. And see, that's the difference between the world's understanding of power and God's demonstration of power. The world bends toward fear, anxiety, and violence, even at the expense of another. But God's power bends toward love, joy, and peace at the expense of Christ for the good of all of us. This is at the heart of every conflict we see unfolding all around us. Every conflict, this contradiction of power. And we've seen, beloved, we have seen. We say, when we say he is risen, he is risen indeed. We say we have seen a different kind of power at work in Easter. We say that where the world trusts in the kind of power that shows its strength through violence like crucifixion, we trust in God's power that shows itself through strength and self-giving love and faithfulness because God did what was promised, like resurrection. So therefore, in our baptism, we've committed to a new understanding of power. Say a new understanding of power. 
It's the power of God's Holy Spirit expressed in the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, and I'll just say kindness. Rather than fear, anxiety, violence, and, you know, I'll say meanness. It's the presence of God's Spirit that reminds us that we belong to a future day of God's glory, which began in Easter. We belong to a different reign that demonstrates a different power based upon a different understanding, catch this, of what it means to be human here and now. See, all that's based on a different understanding of what it means to be human. Why? Because God became human to show us what it looks like to live underneath the power of God as a person who lives in the power of God and expresses it through love. Beloved, we belong to a movement of love and divine power that is able to subvert and stand up to anything. The reign of sin and death throws our way, even death. Because of his resurrection. Easter's a wake-up call. Everybody say, wake up! <laughs> Brent, where you at? Sure, where you at? I only got three people in the room with me. Everybody say, wake up! Wake up! It's a wake-up call from giving our attention to the wrong power. And this creates conflict. Easter's a wake-up call from pledging our allegiance to the wrong power. This creates conflict. Easter is a wake-up call to indifference. This creates conflict. Easter is a wake-up call to a new kind of power that has been unleashed in the world in the form of self-giving love, self-emptying love. And once, once you and I encounter this power in the crucified and risen King Jesus, we cannot stay the same if we really encounter it. All the other forms of power, listen to me, this is the best part. Like this is the, this is the sentence I hang on. All other forms of power because of Easter has been revealed for what it is, empty. That's why Paul, the apostle, said this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13. Everything exposed by the revelation light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, verse 14, Wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Beloved, let's wake up. Jesus was broken so we can be made whole. Jesus was reviled so we can be redeemed. Jesus was rejected so we can be reconciled to God. Jesus took on death so we can take on life. Jesus accepted the hatred, even our hatred, so we can know God's love. Jesus was forsaken so we would never be. We've all been welcomed into life with God, the one who knows us best and loves us most. Easter is a wake-up call. Easter awakens us from our tendency to be lulled asleep by the lullabies of the land of broken promises that in the end lead us away from the power of God at work in us, among us, and through us in the risen King Jesus. This notion of Freedom and rights has caused us to fall asleep to the power of God because we're trusting so much in the power of the land of broken promises. 
Which is why, which is why, which is why Paul wrote to the Roman Christians living in the center of world power in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, and said this. To live like this, everything I'm saying, faithfulness, like, right? To live like this is all the more urgent for time is running out. And you know it is a strategic hour in human history for it is time for us to, you ready? Wake up! For our full salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Verse 12, night's darkness is dissolving away as a new day of destiny dawns. So we must once and for all strip away what is done in the shadows of darkness, removing it like filthy clothes. we got to take it off. That's a choice. We need practice. we gotta, we got to strip ourselves of the filthy clothes. And once you, and once and for all, Paul says, we clothe ourselves with the radiance of light as our, you ready, what's the word? Weapon. That's power. We must live honorably, surrounded by the light of this new day, not in the darkness of drunkenness and debauchery, not in promiscuity and sensuality, not by not being argumentative or jealous of others. Clearly, Paul had no future mind of social media. Verse 14, instead, fully immerse yourselves in the Lord Jesus, God's chosen king, and don't waste even a moment's thought on your former identity to awaken its selfish desires. Some's going to wake up, y'all. Is he going to be the old man and woman that died in baptism? Or is he going to be the new man and woman that was raised in baptism because of Easter? So how do we stay awake? Well, I find it easier to stay awake when I slow down and ask myself a question. And I'm for real, this is the question. Simple. What am I looking for today? <laughs> like, that's the question. Like, where am I fixing my eyes? What am I looking for that I think can bring me hope today? What am I looking for that I think can bring me peace, wholeness, happiness, security? What do I think can bring me freedom today? Purpose, love. What am I looking for? That's the question. What are you looking for? What are we looking for? What am I looking for? Easter reminds us that humanity is always looking for something in a clever way. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 1, verse 38, really quickly. We're going to move fast on this. John 1, verse 38. In a clever way, this idea that we're all looking for something is highlighted at the beginning and the end of John's gospel. In the gospel of John, the first words spoken by Jesus are, verse 38, what are you looking for? And then turn to John 20, verse 15. The first words spoken by Jesus after the resurrection are, who is that you were looking for? We're all looking for something, y'all. It's in that looking for something that we are lulled away by other forms of love and power that captures our attention to what the scriptures call the natural realm where all the other forms of power are at work. We spend more time with Fox News and CNN than we do Jesus. We spend more time with newspaper clippings than we do Scripture. 
We spend more time hanging out by ourselves or even with our family, which is fine. I'm pro hanging out with family. I just want to make that clear. And we rarely hang out with the family of God. The fact is we're all looking for something. And these are the forms of power that lead to fear, anxiety, violence, and meanness. But Easter reminds us to look away and to stop fixing our eyes there and reminds us that something specific is happening in the Easter story. So Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2. It's like we're doing gymnastics through the scripture this morning. I apologize. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Look at what it says. We look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's completion. His example is this. Because his heart, listen to this, beloved, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Some translations say, for the joy that was set before him. Beloved, here's what I want to say. You and I are the joy that was set before Jesus on the cross. He was looking at you and me. He was looking at us. He wasn't just looking at me. That whole Jesus died for me. No, no, Jesus died for us. That's including me. We were the joy. We are Jesus' joy. Do you believe that? You are Jesus' joy. Jesus isn't angry with us. He's not, he's not mad at us when we spend too much time with, with CNN and Fox News. He just looks it up and says, but you're my joy. I want to spend time with you too. Our freedom is Jesus' joy. Our forgiveness is his joy. Don't hold on. Our hope is his joy. Our wholeness is his joy. Our love is his joy. Our citizenship in his kingdom is his joy. Our presence is his joy. Our belovedness is his joy. We don't show up to Jesus in prayer and Jesus go, Oh, oh there's Sherry again. I mean, he's not like us. You know how when you get that phone call from somebody and you just wish they'd text? <laughs> when they knock on your door and during the pandemic, you know, they just want to drop by like in all like social distance ways and you just kind of you just kind of hide in your study underneath the window. I don't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't hide from us. We're his joy. And in a world of contradiction and conflict where the power of God and the power of society is always at work, we're always invited to give our attention and our allegiance to one or the other. We can't split the difference. We can't have both. Because God longs to set right what has been made wrong in our world. That's his joy, to make the broken things whole again. The wound, the loss, the darkness, the tragedy, the death. And here's the beauty of it. All of that, all of that brokenness, all of that anger that we sometimes feel, all of that frustration with the world gone wrong, all of that stuff that tries to tell us Easter didn't happen, we can bring that to God in worship, in prayers of lament, reminding ourselves of the hope that we have in Jesus by tending to the study and the reading of scriptures. We can bring that to Jesus because he finds joy in us. And that, beloved, can become our joy can bring these things to God who gave his life, who loves us most and knows us best and finds joy in our presence. And then we find joy. And you want to know why I can say we find joy? Because Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 said that the fruit of the Spirit is love and somebody give it to me. Joy. And so we remember the precious promises of Scripture and the truth of our faith. We find joy in the joy of Jesus.
But how do we do it? Well, let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 through 3, and then 28 through 29. Let's read it again. We look away from the natural realm, and we focus our attention and expectation on the Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's completion. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, beloved, look at verse 3. So consider carefully, so consider, stop, pause, think, slow down, consider carefully with purpose and intentionality all the hostility Jesus endured from sinful people. Then you won't become worn down and caved under life's pressures. I'm going to read that again. So you then, verse 3, consider carefully all that Jesus went through and all that Jesus endured from sinful people. Then you, by the power of the Spirit, that's the the parenthetical comment that's not there, by the power of the Spirit, then you won't become worn down and cave under life's pressures. You may bend down, you but you won't break. Verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, (laughs) let us be By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Beloved, the event of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday didn't just happen. It is happening. We are all active participation, participants in the resurrection of Jesus, even in the midst of the contradiction and the conflict. It creates the resurrection of Jesus, reminds us that we're invited to breathe in the Holy Spirit of God and breathe out the love of God, even while we're living in a culture of conflict, but we can't breathe if we're always running around in the conflict. We'll be out of breath. So, beloved, we live in the story of God. We have to be in the story of God and Jesus. We have to turn our attention there. Eugene Peterson once said, when we submit our lives to what we read in Scripture, we find that we are not being led to see God in our stories, but our stories in God's. God is the larger context and plot in which our stories find themselves. This quote has profound implications practically. It should impact our values, ethics, politics, relationships, hobbies, priorities. Too many of us are looking to find God in our story. We're trying to fit him in when it's convenient. We're trying to fit God into our lives rather than our lives into God. We are trying to find God in our stories and look for him in all these different places and all the burning bushes instead of just simply seeing how our lives fit in God's story. And we start and we finish and we are sustained when we look to the story of Jesus. The gospel is God's story. It speaks of what he's done and what he's doing in our world in and through Jesus' liberating King and Lord. God's story is not about us, but it involves us and includes us. And We are invited into a story that has the power by the Holy Spirit of God inside of us to change how we live our lives. Beloved, what are you looking for? Seriously. Decide how you can cut some time out of your week with all the habits and all the hobbies that keep you from looking for Jesus. Matter of fact, let me just say here practically, how about replacing, I don't know, one hour a night of your news shows or your TV shows with one hour of scripture? How about maybe 30 minutes? Maybe just start with 10 minutes if that's what it takes. Start somewhere, but replace where you're spending your time away from reminding yourselves of the power of God into a place where you remember the power of God 
of God. Because as Jesus once said, and it knocked them on their feet, as God once said to Moses, I am. See, Jesus is. He is. He is the only one who can set us free. What are you looking for, beloved? You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. 